Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Allison Camerata, and this is CNN Tonight. As we all know, there's real people talk, and then there's Washington speak. So does former Vice President Mike Pence really mean it? when he says he's willing to sit down with the January 6th committee to tell them what he knows? It sort of sounded like he meant it when he said this in New Hampshire today. If there was an invitation to participate, I would consider it. be unprecedented in history for a vice president to be summoned to testify on Capitol Hill. But as I said, I don't want to prejudge. If there's ever any formal invitation rendered to us, we'd give it due consideration. But wait, there's more. The chairman of the 1-6 committee, Congressman Benny Thompson, said that nearly two months ago, the panel did invite former Vice President Pence to come in and talk to them. We would love to have uh, former Vice President Pence's testimony. We have uh, sought it. We've talked to his uh, attorneys in the past. Okay, and then what about the next part? Mr. Pence claimed it would be, quote, unprecedented for a former vice president to testify before Congress. But former Vice President Gerald Ford did just that in 1974. And he wasn't only a former vice president, he was a sitting president when he appeared voluntarily before a House Judiciary Subcommittee to talk about his pardon of Richard Nixon. In fact, there's a whole list of sitting presidents and vice presidents who have testified before congressional committees, including Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. A source with knowledge of Mr. Pence's thinking cautions us not to read too much into his comments about actually considering it, citing the constitutional concerns that Pence alluded to. So if he's not really considering meeting with the committee, why did he say that? And we should note, he said it while he was in New Hampshire at the Politics and Eggs Breakfast, a common stop for candidates considering a run for office. So is that the sound of 2024 calling? And then, of course, there's what Congresswoman Liz Cheney said this morning after losing her Wyoming primary last night. Are you thinking about running for president? It, uh, that's a decision that I'm going to make in the, in the coming months, Savannah. I'm not going to make any announcements here this morning, but, uh, but it is something that I, uh, I'm thinking about, and I'll make a decision uh, in the coming months. Okay, joining me now to parse all of this is former Montana Democratic Governor Steve Bullock and CNN political commentator Margaret Hoover, a former member of George W. Bush's White House staff and a veteran of two GOP presidential campaigns, and CNN political commentator Scott Jennings, a former special assistant to former President George W. Bush. Great to have all of you here tonight. Okay, Margaret, you speak Washington speak. What's up? What, what was Vice President Pence doing when he said that? Vice President Pence is running for president, and he would like very much to be the next ambassador of Trumpism for the Republican Party without Donald Trump. He wants to demonstrate that he doesn't have the crazy, he is a constitutional conservative, and he can fuse the elements of populism and economic nationalism with the conservatism of Ronald Reagan. And that's what his speech was, if you heard it. But, he, but he's constitutional. 
And so he wants to distance himself from Trump, and he's in a, in a state, live free or die, with open primaries. And there are a lot of people wondering, can he really differentiate himself from Donald Trump? If he can, it will be because he decides to testify and demonstrate that what he did on January 6th was constitutional. It was in the interest of preserving our constitutional democratic republic. And he will demonstrate that he can be his own man. So far, he has not done it. He has only spoken to 1-6 through proxies. He has spoken through his lawyer. He has spoken through Mark Short. But the country deserves to hear from him if he wants to be president of the United States. Governor, what do you think? And you, of course, speak presidential candidate speak, having run for president yourself. So do they say one thing and do something entirely different? Look, Allison, what does he have to lose in as much as, oh, maybe Trump won't like him anymore? Trump almost got him killed, or at least we're working his supporters, or that he'll lose some of the Trump base. They'll never be with him. I mean, he should go, if for no other reason, because he carried President Trump's water for four years. And when he retires back to Indiana, he'll at least have one clean, conscious part of it. But at the end of the day, no, I don't see him testifying. I think that that was Washington speak or politician speak. But who's speak. he appealing to? When he says, yes, I'd be open to it to testifying, who's he? Who's the audience for that? Who's well, he saying that to? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, who's Mike Pence's audience at this point anyway? Right. From the perspective, you know, in some ways, sort of doing the apprentice veep stakes to actually become vice president, maybe in some would say that that was because he was about to lose his Indiana race. Mm -hmm. He can't get the Trump folks. He there's no real sort of well, You guys can tell me if there's any non-Trump lane left in the Republican Party. Um, so I don't look, I don't know who he's appealing for. I think you're right, Margaret. He's trying to sound like I'll be a principled constitutional conservative. Well, you showed on that opening, look, at it's not that uncommon for vice presidents and presidents to actually testify. It's not unheard of. It's not unprecedented. Okay, Scott, what do you think? Uh, well, I think he showed that he is a principled constitutional conservative on January the 6th. He's got nothing left to prove. Yeah. Also, I'm considering uh, pitching for the St. Louis Cardinals this weekend. I don't know if it's going to work out or not. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the, look. Yes, the, the but do you just throw <laughs> things out there? I mean, I hear you. I mean, I, you yes, I just did. Out. I don't know if they're, they're yeah. playing right now. Okay. Look, he's not going to testify before this committee. There's I no chance that. of that. And Republicans don't want him to because, A, we know what he did. Uh, we know what his story is. We know what happened to him. I don't, you know, I, I don't know that he has anything else to gain with it. But I will tell you this. Republicans have, right or wrong, decided that participating with this committee is participating with you know, the enemy. Right. And so therefore, if you're Mike Pence and you want to be, Margaret, the next ambassador of Trumpism, you're not going to go down that road. I'd be shocked if he does this. Right. But I mean, I, I guess I'm still just asking the question, why did he say that? I think he's a polite man. And I think yeah. if you listen to what he said, I consider it. And then you listen to all the reasons why he wouldn't do it. It was quite clear what he was doing. If Donald Trump gets into the race, as everyone around him thinks he will, then does that ruin Mike Pence's chances? Yes. Mike Pence would not be able to defeat Donald Trump in a primary, especially in a, in a fragmented one. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, the question you asked, Steve, was, Governor, was, is there a lane that isn't Trumpism in the Republican Party? Donald Trump has a vice grip on 35% of the Republican Party. That 35% happens to turn out in closed partisan primaries. That's why Liz Cheney will no longer be the representative from Wyoming. But there's another part of the Republican Party that doesn't have a vice grip on him. If it is fragmented, to your point, then Donald Trump walks away with it. That's what happened in 2016. Yeah. Well, I'd only say like 35% maybe of the Republican Party, but damn near every U.S. senator, almost every House member. And I think at the end of the day, that infects a lot more than the 35%. It, it has a spillover effect. I would just point out to 
this is the corollary, is that the only two of the 10 Republicans who voted for mm-hmm. impeachment that live to tell, that will live to fight another day are ones from states that have had election reform. Mm-hmm. Okay, closed partisan primary yeah. creates a skewed representation of Republicans, and that's why you have a skewed version in the House and in the Senate. Is the wild card here Governor Ron DeSantis in terms of, since he, would he run, if Donald Trump gets into the race, would he run? And let me just throw out for you what Matt Schlapp, who's the head of CPAC, said about that possibility. This whole question of whether or not it's Trump or not Trump or DeSantis is, in essence, he's the incumbent. It's almost like people are confused. Is, they ask the question, is he the leader uh, in support from these folks? It's like, yes, and I think he will be until he takes his last breath because of everything he did. Do you agree? So Ron DeSantis is not going to run if Donald Trump runs. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, we've got a long way to go before Governor DeSantis has to make that decision. I do think this, um, I do think over the summer you could feel Republicans starting to, to maybe think about turning the page. I think this FBI fight has in, in some ways reminded everybody who's the daddy and who's the kids. And, and I think it's put... What does that the, mean? I think it means Donald Trump is the de facto leader of the party. And I think he is the most likely nominee. Doesn't make him the most likely person to capture the White House. But the rest of these candidates that were thinking of running against him all had to put out statements supporting him. Yeah, but, I, but I'm just confused. How does having your home searched for 20 and f- finding 20 boxes of classified material prove that you're the daddy? Let me tell you something about the Republican Party. The way you understand popularity in the party right now is who has all the right enemies. And if Donald Trump's under siege from Joe Biden, Merrick Garland and the mainstream media, he's got all the right enemies. Governor? Under siege by Christopher Ray or by literally it was six years ago today when Donald Trump said, you know what, I'm actually going to take care of classified information and no one is above the law. Is that right? Isn't today's the anniversary? Literally today is the anniversary of that speech. So it is stunning to me in some respects, too, that, you know, because as Scott was saying, folks started to see openings. And this is what they want to get behind. (laughs) like brazen violations, presumably, of the law. You know, it ought to be like this could have been one of the differentiating points, certainly, and that's what we saw Vice President Pence to a degree today. I I mean, at the time when literally now law enforcement officers are being attacked. Yes, they're the unprecedented level of threats, they say, to the FBI. That's what we're dealing with. Um, but I mean, I just think it's interesting that today, as you said, it was the anniversary, but also between what Liz Cheney was saying and, uh, and Vice President Pence, it felt like today there were people starting 2024. It felt like today something was starting. Look, 2024 has been going on in the Republican Party for at least the last six months, maybe a year. Many people will, uh, I, I think somebody like Ron DeSantis will probably run regardless. I think Mike Pompeo will probably run regardless. I think there's a whole bunch of people who are going to run regardless of whether Trump runs or not. But the question is, if you have a fragmented field and you have somebody who has a vice grip on 35% of it, Donald Trump is in the strong position. He is the incumbent. Okay, friends, stick around. Thank you very much for all of that. So what happened when FBI agents searched Mar-a-Lago? Donald Trump knows, and he has the surveillance video. So one big question tonight is, what is he going to do with it? That's next. Tomorrow, a judge will decide whether to unseal the affidavit that led to the search of Donald Trump's home and boxes of documents labeled classified being found. Tonight, CNN has learned some of the allies of former President Trump are urging him to publicly release surveillance footage of FBI agents executing that search warrant on Mar-a-Lago last week. 
Some advisors have reportedly encouraged Trump to reveal the footage in order to energize the base and rev up his claims of political persecution. Others have allegedly warned that releasing the tapes could backfire on Trump by providing video evidence of the sheer volume of material that was designated top secret and classified that federal agents were forced to retrieve. A person close to Trump says the surveillance video has been so closely held that they're not even sure if Trump himself has seen the whole thing. When Trump's son, Eric, was asked whether they'll release the footage, he said, oh, yeah, for sure. You still have the surveillance tape, is that correct? Will you, are you allowed to share that with the country? Absolutely, Sean, at the right time. Okay, there's a long delay there. Uh, <laughs> joining me now are senior political analyst John Avalon, also our senior legal analyst Ellie Honig, and Scott Jennings is back with us. Now I want to see this tape, okay, Ellie? I mean, I, act, I do. I want to see the tape. I like watching at the FBI at work. Um, <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> no, I, really, yeah. I really do. But legally, it presents problems. Yeah, well, first of all, we all want to see it. I mean, we're all curious, yeah. and it would be interesting. Legally, just, just to get the legal stuff sort of set here, Yes, you are allowed to videotape the FBI while they're searching your home. Yes, the FBI has allowed you to, to ask you to turn it off. And yes, you are allowed to tell them, no, I will not. Now it's in Donald Trump's court. Remember, only Donald Trump has these videos. And I think you can see how this could play both ways. On the one hand, a search warrant is inherently, constitutionally, an invasive process. You have FBI agents in your home, looking in your closets, looking in things, under things. And so that could be upsetting to people and that could rally people who don't like what happened down there. On the other hand, there will be footage of FBI agents walking out of Mar-a-Lago with classified documents. On the other other hand, there's something called the edit button, Mm -hmm. right? And there's nothing to ensure that if Donald Trump releases this, he will say, here's all of it. It would be six hours. That would be be boring. But he could just say, here's a couple clips of an FBI agent poking around in the closet. And that could inflame people. Bingo. That's what they'll do, of course. So they will edit it. Mm -hmm. They will release it if it serves their purposes. They will release uh, select clips of it, which might be the most aggressive or whatever, the most invasive stuff. That's what they would do, John. Right? Yeah, I mean, because that's, they want no, to play the victim in order to fundraise off this and to rally the Republican base around him. I don't think we should get to, we run the risk of getting the signal and the noise mixed up here. Um, the, the outrage is not that the FBI got a subpoena to get highly classified documents that the former president took from the American people. The, the, the outrage is that the former president took highly classified information that belongs to the American people. And when he was told not to, probably said, they're it's mine. It's not theirs, it's, it's mine. It's not theirs, it's mine, right? Which is, you know, Margaret and I have, have a six and a nine-year-old who would be really familiar with that line of argument. Look, it, it, the real deal is this, and, and 100 fundraising emails. That's how many Donald Trump and his team pushed out in the week after the raid, according to the Washington Post. 100 fundraising emails. And their fundraising has been kind of low in recent months, around 200, 200 a day, all of a sudden up to a million. This is about Donald Trump trying to stir up controversy to get attention, to consolidate the Republican Party around him, but more importantly, to make money off this. So don't get fooled by this sort of phony controversy. Here's what his former attorney, Ty Cobb, has said today to CNN. If someone can persuade him this is somehow good for him and bad for his enemies, he'll do it. He doesn't have the lawyers to help him sort through these things strategically and is really thinking through them on his own. I think they think of things sometimes in terms of, are we on offense or defense? And I think, you know, to get your house raided might 
make you seem like you feel like you're on defense, but in the days since, they probably feel like they're on offense, at least as it relates to the PR of being inside the Republican Party. So if they thought this video, you know, even if it was just clips, would keep them on offense, would keep their people fired up, uh, oh, I have no doubt they wouldn't hesitate to do that, and, and I'm sure they're getting a lot of advice to do it. It's kind of hazardous to be Donald Trump's lawyer. Um, you're, I mean, I, I, I have a graphic. Rudy. I mean, that's I just mean. one example. Yeah. Rudy and what Rudy had to do today was just one example. I'll just pull up the graphic right here. I mean, it hasn't gone well for a lot of people. So Rudy had his law license suspended. John Eastman has been ordered to testify. Jenna Ellis has been ordered to testify. Pat Sabloni, as we know, has testified before the DOJ grand jury. Pat Philbin is in the same predicament. Michael Cohen was convicted, went to prison. Um, Lynn Wood, law license in jeopardy. Sidney Powell, law license in jeopardy. Eric Hirschman to, had to testify before the DOJ. Yeah, you wanted to? You know, I mean, <laughs> well, you, you know what none of those people did, really, until it was too late, was quit and come forward? Maybe Eric Hirschman? Mm-hmm. But yeah, right, Eric they all went along with it for the most part until they got indicted in Michael Cohen's case right. or, or got subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. So, look, as a lawyer, you have a lot of power, especially if you're the lawyer for the president of the United States. And there are consequences if you don't use it properly. Th- th- this is, look, th- that list is, is extraordinary because it reminds people, I think, just the vortex that Donald Trump can draw people into, even his legal counsel, which is why he's on something like his eighth team of lawyers. Uh, well, particularly right his legal counsel. I mean, I just want to stop and say that I talked about, to Michael Cohen about this last night. They get into more trouble than he does. Yeah. Being a lawyer for Donald Trump is more hazardous than being Donald Trump. <laughs> so I far, mean, yeah. It is. And, 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 but I think it, it is that, that vortex effect that he has, and also who he chooses to round himself with and how he, what he's asking his people to protect him from. But, but this is the lesson his lawyers are learning, the lesson that Republicans continue to learn, which is, is, you know, this is Winston Churchill's definition of appeasement. It's feeding a crocodile, hoping it eats you last. You're going to get eaten. I think on that list, by the way, just just to, it, it's not fair to put Pat Cipollone I agree with that. in a I picture agree. next to Lynn that. Wood. I mean, there's I, miles apart. No one's uh, no one's argued Cipollone did anything wrong, and he was counsel to the president, the office of the president, which is different than uh, you know being uh, being Lynn Wood or, or Rudy Giuliani. You're so right. I'm going to fire somebody later for that <laughs> um, <laughs> after this. But but back to um, legally speaking, yeah. one other thing, Andrew McCabe, um, former deputy director of the FBI, said is that if they release it. There can be faces of FBI agents on that video. There can also be, you can cart things out, you can freeze the frame, and you can maybe see something that's top secret. It is dicey right. for them to release. I mean, I know you're laughing. Not like that's going to stop them. Well, I mean, they already know, published the agents. I know, that's the point. The I mean, that, already come out. And obviously yeah. the threats are at the highest level they've ever seen. But that would be terrible if mm-hmm. faces were revealed. It, it would be mm-hmm. unethical. It would be dangerous. I'm not sure it would be illegal necessarily. And, and they're operating in this sort of gray. It's not even a gray area. It's not illegal to take video of an FBI agent and put it out there. But let's be real. We know what the purpose of that would be. Uh, we uneth- know what would happen. I mean, look, unethical and dangerous is the temperature of the water that he likes to swim in. I mean, you know, let's be real. That's his swamp. So, yes, that, that is not a disincentive for this team. That's that's very clear about that. Okay, everyone. Thank you very much. Stick around, please. Six hours is a long time to appear before a Georgia grand jury when you're a target of the Fulton County DA's probe. But Rudy Giuliani did go to court today. And what those six hours were filled with and what it means for the criminal probe into the attempt to overturn the 2020 election in that state. All of that is next.
Rudy Giuliani spent six hours in front of the Fulton County Grand Jury in Georgia today. That's a long time to say nothing. So maybe he said something. As we've reported, Giuliani is now the target of the district attorney's investigation into the Trump team's efforts to overturn that state's election results. CNN's Nick Valencia was at the courthouse when Rudy Giuliani arrived and had a chance to ask about his plans. Mr. Giuliani, when you met with Georgia lawmakers, did you lie to them? We will not talk about this until it's over. It's a grand jury, and grand juries, as I recall, a secret. <laughs> Do you believe President Trump is the ultimate target of this investigation? I'm not going to comment on the grand jury investigation. So Giuliani said nothing to reporters when he left. One of the crimes that the DA is investigating is whether Giuliani made false statements to state and government officials, like perhaps this one. You have uh, live from Atlanta, you've got voter fraud right in front of people's eyes. Blatant, clear, obvious. Look at it taking those ballots out. Look at them scurrying around with the ballots. The connection to Hugo Chavez, eventually she followed up with Maduro. Uh, it is quite clear they're stealing votes. Ellie, Scott, and John are back with me. John served as the chief speechwriter to Giuliani when he was the mayor of New York City. Um, Ellie, six hours, that's, that sounds like more time than needed to say I plead the fifth. Yeah, that is a full day of questioning. I mean, just for sort of context, if you had full questioning for six hours, we had these rules of thumb, that's about two to 300 pages of transcripts. So what could have happened for six hours? There's only three possibilities. He actually testified in substance. He took the fifth or he invoked the attorney-client privilege. But you're right. I, I mean, to ask six hours worth of questions where it's just fifth, fifth, fifth would be unbearable. Legally, I will say, in Georgia, if someone's going to invoke the fifth, they can't use what's called a blanket invocation, mm. meaning all this stuff, I'm taking the fifth. You have to go question by question. So it's excruciating. How might we find out what Rudy Giuliani said? There's really only two groups of people who know that. One is the prosecutors and grand jurors. I'll lump them together. They cannot talk about it. That's actually illegal. That violates criminal laws against disclosing grand jury secrecy. Rudy, however, can tell us whatever the heck he wants. He can tell us, here's everything they asked me, here's everything I said, or his lawyer can, or some spokesperson for him. So that's how we might find out what happened in that room. Well, that's really interesting, because I feel like we will find out Perhaps. because of that. Honestly, John, because <laughs> you know Rudy, yeah. and I've interviewed him several times, Rudy likes to spin a yarn. I mean, Rudy does like to talk. He likes to tell his story. Do, don't you find it hard to believe that he would say nothing to investigators for six hours, knowing him? I, I, I think he um, I think he will invoke attorney-client privilege because he's said as much. I think that is his baseline defense. I think, um, you know, Rudy, with his daily radio show or whatnot, is likely to at least talk around this. But as you heard him heading into court, he's trying to take, you know, the grand jury seriously as a secret process. I think the problem is, is, is Rudy, as he is today, is miles away from Rudy as he was when he was a U.S. attorney, when he was, you know, running third in the Justice Department, you know, as a very young man, let alone as mayor. Um, you mean and, in terms of his judgment? I think his judgment and, and his filter. Um, and, and that's how he's gotten himself in this mess. I mean, you saw those clips that were played and those were, were, were abbreviated and relatively dignified, but he did not tell the truth when he tested, when he spoke to Georgia state legislatures. Now, legislators. Now, he, he may have believed he was telling the truth, but as we've already known, he said, well, he, he didn't bother to check up on the facts. It seemed too terribly important. So he lied about an election publicly, including in very you know, serious and pivotal moments. And that's why he's now apparently the target. I mean, what we just played there, Scott, one of the things that the district attorney, Fonnie Willis, is looking into is whether he made false statements. Yeah. 
That's exhibit A. We ha- he said it on tape. I mean, he was, these were taped before the Georgia, I mean, he was in front of subcommittees in terms of um, Georgia lawmakers. He's on tape saying it. Giuliani has been a liability to Donald Trump since going back to the Ukraine matter. I mean, he was a huge liability in that. Trump kept him around. He made a fool of himself uh, in public many times in this aftermath of the November election. He obviously may uh, have well flown too close to the sun on Georgia. A lot of Republicans, me included, have thought the Georgia matter has always been the most dangerous thing uh, to Trump world because they've actually got the president's voice on tape. You got Giuliani saying the things he did. So we'll see what happens here. But Giuliani has been a, a major, Trump should have cut him loose a long time ago and now they're going to pay for it. And yet, Ellie, you also have issues with the district attorney and how yeah. she's been handling some of this? Yeah, there, there's a little bit of dubious prosecutorial practice that's starting to creep into the mix. How so? I'll tell you what I mean. As a prosecutor, generally speaking, it is good practice, good principle that if somebody is a target, meaning this is somebody I'm likely to indict, that's the definition of a target, and the DA has been quite aggressive in announcing who's targets, then you don't subpoena them. Because the point of notifying someone they're a target is you're respecting their rights. And you don't take somebody who you might indict and try to lure them in so they'll incriminate themselves. And so those two things for the way I was taught and the way all federal prosecutors and most state prosecutors are taught, you don't do those two things. So just so I understand, so after announcing that he's a target, she shouldn't have called him before the grand jury. Right. And why would you? I mean, we had the scene in front of the courthouse. We had the media there. And I think there's questions that I'm starting to have about the judgment of this DA. She got thrown off a case. She got conflicted out of a case a few weeks ago because she had political conflicts of interest. She was subpoenaing somebody where she had gone to and attended and headlined a fundraiser for his electoral opponent. One more thing. This is headlining some of the problems that are going to come for this case, because if this results in an indictment, and I I agree this is the most likely of the cases to result in an indictment of Donald Trump, you are going to see a potentially toxic mix of local electoral fundraising and partisan politics going into the courts, and that could be fatal for the case that she's going to ultimately bring. Yeah, it, it, it could very well be, at least with regard to Donald Trump, and he's on tape. I mean, this also goes to questions of basic equal justice under law. He is shaking down or trying to shake down the secretary of state uh, to find votes. Um, and, and at some point, you've got to ask yourself, if that isn't wrong, what is in a, in a democracy? And, and, and the role that Rudy, Rudy played in all this. Now, I will say it's important for us not to get over our skis and speculate about what people say in front of the grand jury and all that. You know, according to the New York Times, the Southern District of New York, for example, declined to prosecute Rudy with regard to Ukraine. That's an important fact. So let, let's, you know, but, but the fact pattern that's public violates every single basic democratic norm that exists. And if other folks would be prosecuted for it, equal justice under law would indicate that that standard should apply. You know, on the tape, you know, having Trump's voice on that tape, you know, the part that we always play, uh, it's bad. There is another section of that tape, which does, you know, some people think might help exonerate him if they ever like went what, to trial. Like what does he say? Well, when they, when they get down to the end and they're just, you know, simply asking like, you know, can we have more information about how this worked? I mean, there, there are some people who have read into the back end of that tape that we don't usually hear about that it could be helpful to them if they go to trial. He would know better do, than do me. We, do we, does anyone remember how long that tape is, how long that cause? It is 62 minutes. Yeah. It's an the hour ch- and the chunk, minutes. The chunk, we, know, the chunk we always listen to is terrible PR. There just may be other part of it that's better. It's not PR. It's not PR. This is the mistake I'm we always I'm a PR made. person. This is how every, when, right. you're a, when you're a hammer, the whole world's a nail, John. <laughs> but here is what I want to ask you, Ellie. What Scott was saying yeah. about when we have those tapes of Rudy saying that to yeah. lawmakers, if he didn't know he was lying, does that matter legally? If he didn't know, but in what universe could he not know, know those were lies? He'd have to be on another planet. The, the audacity and arrogance of Rudy to go in front of the Georgia State Senate and legislature and tell outright 
disprovable lies is remarkable and it's inexplicable. And it's been said before, but it's not a crime to go on to certain networks and lie. It's not a crime no, to... I just mean in front of lawmakers. But, but that... to go, yes, to lie to a state legislative body is a straight up crime and he straight up lied. I don't see a way out of it for him. And, and he just got lulled. I think that's part of how this slippery slope that people get lulled into lying in the, to win the court of opinion, mm. court of public opinion, and they forget when they're actually under oath speaking to legislatures. The same standard should apply. Gentlemen, thank you very much. All right, so if you check your library shelves in one school district in North Texas, you won't be able to find the Bible. That's just one of the books that they are now getting rid of. You won't be able to find an adaptation of Anne Frank's diary. All of these were pulled, along with dozens of other books, so that they can be reviewed by a school board. Again, we'll talk about what else got flagged and why books are being banned. Today is the start of a new school year in Keller, Texas. That's just near Fort Worth. The teachers showed up. The students showed up. The only thing absent, the books. Lots of them. 41 books pulled off the library shelves for review, though they were each reviewed last year after complaints as well. Some of the books are about the LGBTQ experience, like All Boys Aren't Blue and Gender Queer. But also there are other books, like Toni Morrison's novel The Bluest Eye. That was also taken off the shelf. Also, an illustrated adaptation of Anne Frank's diary. And also, the Bible. Yes. The Keller School District allows parents, employees, and anyone living in the district to object to the books. Now, many of those books were put back on the shelves after the review last year. Now, there are three new conservative school board members. They were praised by one speaker at a recent meeting as being very unwoke and they helped unanimously pass new policies for library and educational materials. The school district says books that meet the new guidelines will be returned to the libraries as soon as it is confirmed that they comply with the new policy. Not impressing a parent who was part of the committee that put many of the books back in circulation last year. It was actually a really fast committee. We discussed them. We decided that they were suitable for children's shelves. And they come in, the small group of people, and they say, no, we don't like your outcomes. The committee may also decide to limit use of the materials to certain grade levels or students who have parental permission. By one estimate, Texas schools far and away lead the pack among 26 states with books banned in school districts. Pennsylvania and Florida follow, but even combined, their numbers hardly compare. So just as school boards become the newest battleground in the culture wars, the public school libraries become a more crucial front in the debate over what our kids should learn or merely be allowed to read. And that line gets moved every time a new school board member is voted in or a conservative parent complains or a liberal parent complains or a neighbor with no kids or whoever complained about the Bible and later withdrew that challenge. Tonight, because of this review, it doesn't matter, because of this new precedent in Keller, Texas, those books won't be read. And it's not just Texas. It's not just library books. Kids are caught up in the middle of culture wars all across the country, and that means their parents are as well, and their teachers, even sometimes their doctors. So what's the fix? We'll talk about it next.
right, so we just told you about the battle over books in a Texas school district, but the classroom culture war is a hot-button issue all over the country. Everything from how to teach history to whether to arm teachers. I just sat down with a group of parents from around the country who say they're worried as their kids head back to school. Here's a preview of our Pulse of the People conversation, which you'll see here tomorrow night. At the core of everything that people claim to be about CRT or about you know, diversity and if I say even affirmative action is infantilizing black people. There's no evidence students are being taught to be oppressed or feel oppressed or feel guilty. I have a 17 year old daughter. She has never come home saying that she was forced to learn about someone else's culture or religion or whatever. We definitely need to teach our students that racism exists. We have to acknowledge it, but we shouldn't be teaching our kids that one, white people are inherently racist because that's not true. Okay, let's talk about all of this. John Avalon is back, as is the former governor of Montana, Steve Bullock, and Margaret Hoover. The Hoovalon are reunited. <laughs> um, so, guys, I just sat down with this group of parents. School starts uh, in some places today, in some places in the next couple of weeks. Parents are anxious. Mm-hmm. The anxiety level is really high. I mean, not just school shootings, though. Obviously, that, I think, just drives everybody's anxiety up so high. But then all of the culture war stuff and the curriculum stuff and the teacher shortage stuff, it is a scary time to be heading back to school. And you just heard those parents, Steve. They, they are very concerned about what their kids are learning in the classroom because they feel out of control. They're scared, I mean, basically, is the bottom line. And are their kids somehow being indoctrinated into a way that they don't feel comfortable with? I'm sure you confronted some of this in Montana. Like, Allison, I think back to when I was in junior high. My mom was on the school board. And all of a sudden they tried to ban this book called Our Bodies Ourselves. I remember that Like, let's not allow women, high school women, to learn about their own bodies. At the end of the day, in some respects, I mean, I think it's grotesque. It's prejudiced dog whistles that are driving a lot of this. And I don't think, you know, we want to think it's just sort of from the ground up. There's a lot of money being spent Mm -hmm. to actually make this part of the culture. By whom? By whom? you could do a quick Google of CRT and dark money and find literally millions and millions of dollars of dark money groups. Because I think that in part, look, people don't, would much rather say, let's have this cultural war or talk about this than talk about why not one Republican would vote to allow the government to actually negotiate drug prices, mm-hmm. things like that. So it's driving it. And this isn't to say, look, I'm a parent. I worry about my kids in school. Now, I actually talked to my kids and the teachers. They didn't even know what CRT was until Fox News started running it every night. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm glad you're saying that, Governor, because one of the things that we'll hear tomorrow night from this panel of parents is that there's a lot of worry about CRT. But when you drill down and ask them individually, is it being taught in your school? They have a hard time coming up with examples. However, they see it on the Internet. And of course, that's enough to make them think it's happening somewhere. And that does increase the anxiety. I mean, I don't think we can dismiss that. I just don't think that just because it's not happening in your school doesn't mean that a parent isn't anxious about it. Um, But Margaret, I mean, do we need book police? (laughs) Book police is, um, actually, it's not new, right? We, We don't need book police, but we have been through phases and phases in this country where each generation has decided to clamp down and sort of 
decide that some material isn't appropriate. I mean, you referenced our bodies ourselves, but it happened for generations before. It's happening now. The truth is, right now, there is a massive wave of conservative activism around this. Most people don't know what CRT is. CRT is a very arcane legal theory from the 1970s, which almost nobody except for legal scholars That's true, but as you know, people use it as a shorthand. It has become a blanket term. They use it as a blanket term. It has become a blanket term for politicization of the progressive left in our schools to teach a a certain doctrine to to our children. Uh, that has, um, frankly, it, all it does is serves to polarize and confuse. Sure. And the truth is, it, there are elements of of truth to this notion that yes, we should be teaching a much broader version of American history and a much more inclusive version of American history, and we can do that without being um, sort of preached to and divided. Except when we start doing it, as curriculums have started to open up and have started to try to add more context and all of that, and history, there is pushback. People are fighting that. People are fighting what we grew up with in terms of American history, and that's what's, you know, part of behind CRT and people claiming that as their... This is a downstream effect of tribal politics. It is. Um, and, and, And I think we should be teaching a more expansive view of American history, and we should be teaching a view of American history that's the good as well as the bad and the ugly, but with affirming that, you know, this country is still a great country. And, and I think where people get concerned is the feeling that ind- education can slip into indoctrination. But a lot of this is being pumped up as a fear-mongering tool under the frame of parental rights because it polls well. The downstream effect, though, on this is also, you know, books being taken out of classrooms. You know, the, it, book bannings is, 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 is nothing that anyone who says they're in favor of speech, free speech should get within a mile of. Yeah. And instead, they're not condemning it, they're acquiescing. But you know what else it is? It's the internet. As I learned from the parents last night, and I always learned so much from these panels, the libs of TikTok. Yeah. This is, you know, these are filled with like viral memes where this is uh, started by a woman, as I understand it, a a conservative real estate agent who considers herself sort of a culture warrior. And then it's amplified by hosts on Fox and by Ted Cruz and by Matt Gates, And it's anything. It's not fact-checked. No, that's right. It could be an actor on there. It could be anything. And it is allegedly from liberals trying to indoctrinate your kids. And it scares parents. They've mm-hmm. made a boogeyman. They've made a boogeyman out of this thing. But that also gets traction because it's in response to, you know, a changing of the curriculum to diminish some of the core themes of American civics education. And that is, that is actually a real thing that, 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 that many people are concerned about. People are concerned that their kids aren't learning about the Constitution. They're not learning about the founding generation. They're not learning about sort of all the things about American history and the things that, that the, the, the reason that we're arguing about January 6th and why the Constitution was challenged, a lot of people don't even understand the premise because they're not learning yeah. the basics of civics education in our and, country. And, and we but sh- look, and that's something, like Sandra Day O'Connor, one of the main things she was working on is there should be civics education yes. in every, like yes. that's an area where we ought to all be able agree. to agree on, not about banning the diary of Anne Frank. The Bible? Or the Bible, <laughs> I mean, or the Bible? yeah. When, when, you're, when you're banning the Bible, you're probably doing it wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, but, but that is exactly Exactly right. You know, we need to be investing more in civic education. That can be something that unites us. But still, people get sucked down this rabbit hole of, of what really is just fear-mongering from the fringes, but it has a real-world impact. You know, you mentioned Libs of TikTok. There are threats coming into Boston Children's Hospital yes. as a result of one of the memes they pushed. Yes. They were trying to claim that they were giving girls under 18 hysterectomies. It's not true. And then Boston Children's Hospital has to spend precious time today 
knocking it down, putting out statements, be, just because, I mean, again, this is nonsense that's being put on the internet. Yeah, but, 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 it, but it gets amplification, has a real-world impact, and the issues serve to distract. You know, you know Governor Bullock made an important point about this is this all the time being spent on these culture war issues are times not talking about lowering prescription drug prices or how to help people it, where they live. And, and I do think that, you know, look, Democrats fall into this trap when they get caught playing defense on the culture wars. What they really should be doing is what an op-ed that you wrote is, is building out red state and rural Democrats talking about the issues that people care about and not getting sucked into these culture war debates um, because they're frankly losers. What's really toxic is when they're based on lies. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to you all watching my Pulse of the People panel Us tomorrow. Too. Night with these I learned so much from it. Thanks so much for watching and join me tomorrow in the CNN newsroom from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. And I'll be back here with you tomorrow night. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.